The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am Corbett and joining me today is the cool ghoul himself. Zacho, how you doing, Zach? Did you just call me a ghoul? No, I called you cool, Zach. That's the part you need to focus on. It's a compliment. Okay, okay. Um, how you doing, Corb? There's been a mini set with new cards. There has, there has. I personally haven't had a great chance to dive into the new cards. Um, it's only been a few days, you know, so that makes sense. But that means that I, like the listeners, I'm just here to learn. I'm here to find out what's actually going on. The next report is going to be out on the 8th of June, so normal time this Thursday, guys. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, and yeah, a reminder, you can always like rate the podcast, uh, give a review. It always helps us reach more listeners. Okay, there we go. Housekeeping out of the way. So let's dive right in, because I feel like this is going to be a long episode. I feel like there's a lot to talk about. So Zach, take it away. Again, Death Knight, like we do every episode. Tell me about Death Knight. Yeah, I mean, we start with the mo- most popular classes, and Death Knight is still the most popular class. Um, though not to the same... Well, it is pretty popular, admittedly. But uh, the good news, it's under 30% play rate. Hooray! Uh, so people are trying other stuff, finally. Uh, but um, but yeah, the Death Knight is always going to be very popular as long as it's the new class. And on top of it has three seemingly competitive archetypes that are distinct from each other. Uh, and this is what's been going on. But there's also been experimentation with other types of Death Knight. We'll go over that too. So there's a lot to talk uh, within this class. So we'll start... I think with the simplest one, which is Blood. And Blood Death Knight, I think out of all the other rune types, it has changed the least mm-hmm. and may not change at all. Uh, I think there is one candidate to be included in the deck, which is Hollowhound. And it might not be that strong in Blood Death Knight specifically. So... Uh, it might be good enough to be included, but it's not like an all-star performer that you immediately put into the deck without a doubt. Uh, it's something that I'll have to look into more closely as uh, I do deck refinement for the report. But otherwise, blood hasn't really changed. And I think in terms of position in the format, also hasn't changed much. It's good against aggressive decks, as it usually is, it's good against Frost and Unholy. Obviously, it's a main counter to both Frost and Unholy Death Knight within the class. Uh, but it's got also some legitimate counters. Uh, obviously, Control Priest is still around. Things like Relic DH are still around. And Rage Warrior are tough, is a tough matchup. So there are things that um, can definitely give Blood a hard time. And that kind of keeps it in control. Uh, so it's a deck that looks tier 2-ish throughout ladder. Um, doesn't seem overly powerful, but uh, seems okay uh, for the start of uh, this, this format. Uh, I would say, I would even say that it might be the 
the best Death Knight deck right now, just because in terms of aggregated stats, it's the one uh, archetype that has changed the least and is seeing very few experimentations. And very often experimentations can lead to a le a lesser performance because the the deck is the archetype is not refined, so it's going to deliver worse results until things are figured out. Um, which gets me to the other uh, Death Knight archetypes, which are seeing a lot of experimentation. So when it comes to Frost, um, there are the standard builds. They seem to do fine. Um, I would say that Frost is weaker compared to what it was before the mini set because, you know, it, it didn't get any new cards, at least the the primary form of, of Frost, the one that that we know and are familiar with. And on, on the other hand, there are a lot of other archetypes in the format that got new tools, including healing tools that are very relevant against Frost Death Knights. And those tools are really helping in a lot of matchups. And we'll get to those decks later uh, and why they got better overall, specifically against Frost as well. But basically, there's more life gain, which means it's harder to burn opponents dying with uh, Frostworm's Fury and Mirror Manipulator. And that means that Frost is, is weaker than it was before. But on top of that, there is a new uh, deck list that's, uh, that's been running around. Uh, I think uh, Pizza um, popularized that list. And it's a double frost one unholy rune build that tops out at Yodeler and Thessarian and Posig. You top out at four mana, basically. You run Mitomenethil also at the top end because you generate a lot of corpses. And you run Death Growl and Eggs and Unholy Frenzy and Naval Mine. And basically the deck is rush you down in the early game with a lot of sticky death rattles, get Yodler off either to, you know, proc Eggs uh, that, you know, develop beans on the board. And then you use that to pressure or even use it to proc Naval Mine and just burn the opponent down with kind of like a mine rogue type situation. And that list has been, you know, propagating mm -hmm. and it's complete trash. <laughs> it's it's like it's like tier eight. Its win rate is under 40%. Oh no. So yeah. So it, it, the deck is absolutely not functional, which tells you a lot. You know, sometimes you have a streamer can have a, a good performance over a low sample, even a top legend, because uh, he's playing against uh, opponents that are not familiar with whatever they're playing, right? They're, they're not familiar with, with the list. They don't understand. They, they, they see Frost and they start expecting, oh, I'm going to get Mirror Manipulated, right? Or Frost from Fury. But this deck doesn't even run these cards and is very focused on just, you know, uh, basically egg generation, right? You, you leverage eggs. Well, what happens when people pop your eggs? When they know, okay, all we need to do is just deny your yodeler. And once you deny the yodeler, then the yodeler doesn't do anything. You play an egg, they pop the egg. They don't let you death growl. They don't let you yodeler. What do you do? Then 
yeah, the apparently the answer is not much. Uh, so this deck is not functional, and that might may uh, drag down Frost's performance a little bit, uh, or even quite a bit. But again, even at peak performance, which is something that I'm capable of doing, I'm capable of uh, removing the garbage and just focusing on refined builds of Frost, the deck is not as good as it was in uh, before the mini set, where it was almost looked concerning with how good it was. So that's Frost. Nothing is going to change. I think the, the best lists are going to be very similar to what they were before the mini set. The Yodler stuff, not really. Frost Fury is still uh, a priority build the wrong card for the archetype. Uh, that's not a shocking statement to hear. I, I'm not blown away by that, Zach. That sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. Now, in Unholy, though, it's a different situation because Unholy is also experimenting with builds that run Yodler and Deathgrawl with Nerubian Eggs, and they even run Chillfall and Baron, you know, to just have a lot of death battles and being able to leverage those uh, with Growl and Yodler. And those builds look good. Uh, in Unholy, it seems to work fine. I think it's a lot to do with the fact that Eggs have synergy with what Unholy does in general, with Grave Strength, with a lot of corpse generation that later on you leverage into Marogar. Uh, so Death Growl, which is a card that, you know, we saw high potential in, in, in Unholy, uh, and didn't work out, I think Yodler kind of pushes it to the point where there's enough Death Rattle synergy that you may want to run Nerubi and Egg. And you may want to run additional Death Rattles in order to leverage further and really get a lot of consistency out of that synergy. Uh, so I'm seeing promise in those kind of iterations. So Yodler is a good card that's probably going to be in Constructed. It's just going to be an unholy card rather than, you know, a card that you just run into every Death Knight deck. Not really. I think Unholy is best equipped to leverage that. On top of it, Unholy is also trying to run uh, Magatha. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. It sounds weird. Yeah, I'm not any helping here. I'm not any helping. The Warcraft lore right over my head. So I'm going with Magatha as well. <laughs> It's not Magatha, it's Magatha. Oh, Magatha. Got but it. anyway, <laughs> apparently. Uh -huh. um, uh, but uh, yeah, so Unholy has a lot of uh, minions, doesn't run a lot of spells, so it makes sense to run the card. And she seems to work uh, okay in, in this archetype too. Um, so I, I do see a lot of promise. Probably going to tweak uh, the popular lists uh, further with Yodler and improve it further and i think we have a a deck that's changed from the mini set that's going to be competitive and, and good uh, i will say though that again unholy even at peak potential doesn't seem to be too intimidating of a, of a strategy right now uh it's kind of suffering in its performance because there's also stuff that you know there are builds that go too all in with the death rattles and run like Infectious Ghoul and Cagehead and Unholy Frenzy. Unholy Frenzy to me seems like a very much a bait card that people start to run into lists uh, alongside Death Growl and Yodler, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really belong with those two. It's not really in the same category 
of performance. It's very much a very situational card uh, that, you know, relies on you having the board and having something to run into. It just it costs two mana. Yeah, it was buff, but at three, it was completely unplayable. And at two, people think it's good, but it might be good, but no, it's not really good. Too, too conditional, too situational. Uh, and seems like kind of a bait. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where things land. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Undead Priest, where we had these two very distinct versions of the archetype um, before, like, one, the Swarm build kind of won out. Uh, you know, now we have this Egg package, the Non-Egg package. It'll be interesting, but like I was saying, it wouldn't shock me if uh, development was a little bit slow because Unholy Death Knight is probably the type of deck where players will only want to play it if it's busted. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't be shocked if you know things dawdle over time not exactly because it's a death knight deck yeah yeah that's a good point when it comes to death knight like if it was a if it were a shaman deck i would agree with you but the fact that it's a death knight deck means it's going to be perpetually played um, um so it's in a class that has a lot of visibility when it comes to refinement i, I think it'll figure itself out uh, pretty quickly the, the 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 big difference i think between this and dead priest is that Undead Priest had two versions, variants that were very functional. They were both good. Question is, what was better? Here, I think I see a more dramatic difference where there's something that's clearly working and there's something that's clearly not working. Mm -hmm. And it's just a question of how much time it's going to take for for players to flock into what works. And I suspect uh, once the report comes out, then they will, uh, you know, utilize what's working. They're also the pre they're, they're also the builds that were established before the mini set, and they also work fine. I'll have to compare, you know, the Death Rattle Yodler builds with the pre-mini set builds and see whether there's something what's better. But I do suspect that the Death Rattle builds have higher scope for potential since, you know, the, the builds from before the mini sets were already figured out. And once, you know, take out some some bait cards, like another very popular card that just doesn't belong in these lists is Mermy. People keep shoving Mermy everywhere. I don't understand why. I don't understand how. Why are people so infatuated with Mermy? Initially, people played it in lists that ran Gorlock Ravager. And then it made kind of sense because it's a Murloc that you can draw you can draw with Ravager. So if you needed a package of Murlocs and Mermy is a good candidate. But people are just hard running Mermy without any other synergy, and I'm really confused by it because the card is garbage. Um, I don't, I don't understand why it keeps being shoved into lists. So something like that just drags down a, a deck's win rate, because when you draw Mermy, it's like you drew a pretty useless card. And once you take that out and you know add some more functional cards, and I think that the deck will improve. I think that's a great point about Death Knight. The class is being so perpetually played like it doesn't really matter even if it isn't the strongest aggro deck and you might think it would fall into like a paladin kind of situation or something but no i think it's an excellent point that people are just always going to be playing death knight until the next class comes out in 2025 uh no spoilers uh <laughs> we'll see i do wonder when that's gonna end when the the you know the perpetual uh high play rate of death knight end um maybe in the next expansion it's possible because i i think there's no I mean, it's not like Demon Hunter had the same thing. Though the, the big difference is that Death Knight has like three distinct play styles that get support and are 
So if three of them see significant play, then suddenly the death any cost, bam, 30% win rate, right? At 30% play rate. So uh, there is some, some issue with that. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But it's just because of the cost is new and because it has this three distinct play styles that appeal to different players, it kind of attracts a lot of player base, a lot of the player base. Okay, so that, those are the three distinct archetypes, but there's also other experimentations with uh, the fight. And one that's most notable is the Cagehead OTK deck that runs Dead Air. Dead Air is a Frost Unholy card, one Frost, one Unholy. So people are running like this, this build that has Cagehead, Bone Lord, and Yodler. And what you do basically is once the Bone Lord dies, you play a zero mana cage head, and then you play Yodler on it. You summon two boars, you attack face, and then you dead air. You play dead air, you kill your uh boars, you summon resummon the boars, you summon another boar from cage head. Basically, it's a lot of damage. It's nine <laughs> times five uh at least. Uh, of charge damage, um, which can kill a lot of people, but uh, it sucks. I Aww. just wanted to say that Aww. it sucks. It doesn't work. It's another Bone Lord bait deck that um, doesn't seem to have much behind it, and it's going to disappear. So if you're wondering about that, yeah, no, it's not happening. Well, a lot of hearts just got broken, Zach, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we can move on, though. You know, you touched on Demon Hunter and talking about how that class's popularity uh, kicked off. But yeah, let's go to Demon Hunter. What's going on there? Yeah, so Demon Hunter obviously also has a lot of archetypes and uh, some experimentation. So Relic is fairly popular. I think it's good to start with that. It's not particularly strong right now. I think it's okay. Um... It's kind of tier two-ish, gives me tier two-ish vibes of, you know, once the meta settles down. Um, I do continue to support the, you know, the Posic Okani Meltranics Applebaum build. Uh, I think that build just has much more, much more of a well-rounded matchup spread com compared to the, you know, the Sathino Rowdy fan build uh, ever since the Predation got nerfed. Uh, so so that build is still fine. I don't really see a lot of new cards. Some people some some players run Rhapsody. I, I, I don't know if that's correct, but the the main the main message is that most of the Relic Demon Hunter builds don't really incorporate new cards and there's compared to other Demon Hunter decks, maybe there's little experimentation. Um Outcast also seems fine, not overly powerful. Again, tier two-ish. Uh, may have issues uh, with some matchups that are rising in play. Uh, I'll I'll keep an eye on that. But Outcast, I think, got got worse compared to before the mini set. I think it's fair to say it might get uh, it, it things might get even more difficult as some matchups uh, rise in play. So I don't really see a positive outlook for the archetype. Some people are trying through Fell and Flame in order to further juice up the Sathino. But this deck is not really a Sathino deck. We know this uh, from 
before the mini set. We're going in the wrong direction, guys. We wanted to cut this Athena. We didn't want to lean even further into that idea. Exactly. So that doesn't seem that idea doesn't seem to work out very well. Uh, I do. I am curious. There's some new cards, uh, and people are not really trying. Like, they're remember what we talked about before the podcast that maybe people will zoom out and review the build and see. It's not really happening. They're not really reviewing everything, and if they are trying something, they're trying something in a bad direction. <laughs> That makes the deck worse. So not not much going on there with Outcast. Now, when it comes to big, again, um, I think at this point, the Evoker, the Crush Claw Enforcer build is the superior way to go. Uh, it might have to do with the importance of some early game removal like I-Beam in some matchups that are rising in play right now. Um, but in general, the big DH build, I recommend the Enforcer build that we had before the mini set and nothing really has changed there because big demon hunter didn't really get new cards. So the deck seems fine. I think it might be the best demon hunter deck right now, or the second best it's, it depends, um, where you are on ladder, but it, it seems to do okay generally, but there is another Demon Hunter archetype that's popping up again, and that is Spell Demon Hunter. Oh my god. Uh, yes, Corb, yes. Uh, this deck obviously got obliterated by the Sinful Brand nerf and wasn't seen again until now. And what happened now? Through Fell and Flames. That's what happened. And this card is really good with Sathino. And this is the ultimate Sathino deck. This is this deck is just that's what it does. It just plays Sathino, plays abusive sergeant, and OTKs you. And through Felon Flames is huge for this archetype. And now, even though it doesn't have the burn damage from Sinful Brand, the fact that the Sathino uh, turn is so insane, uh, and through Felon Flames is so insane in this deck specifically, and this deck is back. This deck is back. And it's very, very good. In fact, it might be the best Demon Hunter deck at high levels of play. It's not might. It is the best Demon Hunter deck at high levels of play from, I think, safe to say, once you hit Legend, um, you, this is this is the way to go. And this deck doesn't see much play compared to other archetypes. Um, but, you know, at Legend, it's starting to pop up. Like... One, like at the upper diamond where you're on the climb legend, it's early in the month. So upper diamond right now is pretty high MMR, fairly. It's one, one and a half percent play rate. At legend, for the people who already hit legend, it's already four and a half percent play rate. Um, So it, it's creeping up and it's going to be a significant player. Thankfully, Sinful Brand is gone. So that experience is not going to be a thing, but the experience of being OTK while having a board <laughs> on turn six with a Sethino Abusive Sergeant is going to be a prevalent thing, prevalent thing part of the meta, at least again at high MMR. This is this strikes me as a deck that's pretty elaborate, that's pretty complex and requires a lot of counting. So I don't think it's gonna be super popular it's more difficult compared to the Sinful Brand iteration where you just 
play sinful brand, use spam, fill the right warband, and just kill your opponent. Here, you're much more focused on the Sethino OTK. And without the Sethino OTK, you kind of don't have enough damage. So there's more resource management here. Um, so I don't think this deck is going to be super popular outside of Legend Ranks. But if you're a high MMR player, then watch out because this deck is probably going to pop up quite a bit after the report is out. Maybe after this podcast uh, summary <laughs> propagates and people figure it out, they start playing this archetype again. So yeah, through Felon Flames, nutty. Nutty, nutty card with Satino. Listeners, you can't see my face right now, but I assure you, it's just horror on my face. Uh, I cannot believe this is happening again. I... Th <sighs> It's unreal. I was so sure this deck was just gone. Like, it fell so dramatically after the brand uh, brand change. So, to have it back, I well, I think we're going to find out really quickly. Was the play pattern that people hated most the Sinful Brand, or was it just the Thano OTKs? I think Sinful Brand was absolutely a problem. Agreed. And it's good that it got nerfed. Mm -hmm. It's just that the, the reason why this deck is functional again, looks good again is because you don't need to wither down your opponent anymore. Uh, you Like the, the spell DH with that ran Sinful Brand, what it did, it bursted you down through multiple turns. It, it kind of, like, you you equipped the weapon, you hit your opponent in the face, you took, like, that was like eight damage, right? And then you played Warband uh, Sinful, which was another 12 damage, right? And then you had whatever damage was left, you would finish off your opponent with whatever tools you had still. You finished them off with a small Sathino combo or something like that. Here, with this new build, you don't have the Sinful Brand, which means that the deck was unplayable. But now it had has two more activators for further Sathino procs with, uh, through Felon Flames, which means you don't even need to chip. You don't need to even... You don't need to do a lot of chip damage mm -hmm. to your opponent in the early game, so you just kill them from thirty. If you can't, like, it becomes more common to just kill them from thirty, uh, where you don't even need the chip damage. You just you just OTK them. This is what's happening. This is why this deck is back. Um, yeah, probably gonna be unpleasant, uh, especially when it when it can happen so early in the game. Sometimes. Sometimes you get the abuse of Sathino early. You just get that. You just rush into that. And turn six, you have Dispose of Evidence and through Felon Flame, you just go off. Uh, so, so, yeah. And sometimes you can even, through Felon Flames, on Finale, right? <laughs> and you have no mana left over, and yet somehow Double Predation, uh, Dispose, and your opponent dies because you even buffed the Sathino. Sathino even more. The Sathino deals six, right? It's, uh, sorry, deals five with Abusive uh, and the buff from through Fallen Flame. So there's a lot of damage there. Uh, yeah. Good luck, guys. Good luck out there. Be safe. Um, <laughs> but no, very interesting to hear all that uh, about Demon Hunter um, and just like where things will end up settling. I'm sure a lot of people will like having that archetype back to play but like you said it's gonna be unpleasant for a large majority of players i think yeah the the good news again it's not gonna be popular for the large majority of players uh it, this strikes me as a top legend deck um 
rather than a deck that you're just going to be spammed all around ladder. Now, moving on to another class that I find very interesting, Warrior. Warrior, once again, you know, seeing significant play, a lot of experimentation, and some of that experimentation even coming from you, Zach, on the Twitter feed. Yeah, um, Warrior, Enraged Warrior looks insane. Uh, there's no beating around the bush here. Uh, the deck is one of the best decks in the game. Enraged Warrior was already really good, uh, shaping up to be a... Very powerful deck, tier one deck at higher levels of play. That was uh, in the last report uh, before the mini set. And it got even stronger after the mini set because Jam Sessions is a great card. Uh, it's a perfect fit for the archetype. You just cut the Pyromancer and you run Jam Sessions. That's it. Uh, there are other experimentation. People are cutting Roaring Applause and they're adding a Frightened Flunky. Uh, you can run Treasure Guard. There's all sorts of options that you have for the final two slots. I'm not attached to any of them, but just run Jam Sessions. The card is one of the best performers in the deck. It's a top five card in the deck. It's a new addition. It makes a big impact. Early snowballing gives you early snowballing on top of being a self-damage enabler that allows you... Sometimes you can Jam Session and imbued Axe on the same turn which is absolutely backbreaking for the opponent because you can push immediate damage uh, while buffing your board. The card just is a perfect fit for, for, for the deck. Uh, just a huge boon for it. And it's just really, really good. And Rage Warrior's matchup spread is really strong. I think its major counter is the Priest class. I think Undead and Control both have a good time against it. But other than that, you look at its matchup spread, it's very, very good. It is... It beats all Death Knight decks. Um, if you want something that beats Death Knight, just play this. It does well. I think Unholy is the most difficult matchup out of the three. It might be a close to 50-50. But Enrage does very well into Blood. Uh, because you can just... In that matchup, you have a lot of time. So all you got to do is just buff one of your big bombs. You you get an Anima Extractor turn, uh, turn off. You buff like an Ogra or a Gromish or a Remornia. And you just kill your opponent with that. And they don't have enough life gain to, to be able to uh, outlast that. Uh, on top of that, sometimes you can just snowball in the early game out of control, get a big board buff with imbued axe, and they can't corpse explosion you in time. And they just die. So that matchup is comfortable. Against Frost, same thing. They really cannot handle your early game snowballing. So if you just snowball really hard and fast, uh, you can kill them before Frost Fury even comes online, becomes relevant, and you just make their Mara Manipulator irrelevant because if you have a lot of board, a lot of health on your board, then Mara Manipulator doesn't really do anything. Um, so that matchup is also very comfortable. Unholy is the one that I think sometimes they snowball early and you can't stabilize in time, so that matchup is closer. But in general, it does very well against Death Knight. Also, does very well against Demon Hunter, uh, especially Relic. Uh, because you ju you can just snowball be to the point like imbued axe can put your minions out of range of um, Arcanus and Leashfell, so we know about that. We talked about it before. Deck is really good. Uh, Enrage, super good deck. But Menagerie is also a good deck. Um, it's got some some neat new cards, and there have been experimentation with all sorts of new additions. So I was trying out. Uh, Abyssal Bassist. 
with uh, with a tuning fork uh, and sword eater, you can discount that pretty consistently to like three mana often. And it's a demon. It's the only demon you have available in your deck. So if you play it and you play uh, Amalgam of the Deep on it, then pretty your 75% chance, uh, you have a 75% chance of getting an amal one Amalgam Band. So same reason why Stereo Totem is kind of good and Razorfin Rockstar is kind of good in that deck is because they're really good Amalgam of the Deep targets. Um, other iterations, uh, Fino was trying out um, Bouncer, Backstage Bouncer, the Frog. And that card also seems to be quite good in the deck. I do wonder how, like, probably what I'm going to do with the deck refinement phase is try to, rem like, merge uh, his list with mine. Because my list is very greedy. And in slow in faster matchups, it's uh, it's kind of uh, less effective because you have a lot of you don't have a lot of one drops and you don't have a lot of early game snowballing. Um, my list is more focused to beat like Blood Death Knight because you're running like greedy stuff like like you run a Voon Zola combo that basically is infinite value change in in your hand and you can just fatigue Blood Death Knight. I've done that regularly. Where you just win that you beat them in fatigue. Like Menagerie Warrior, make no mistake. This is this is a very, very grindy deck. This deck is all about, you know, accumulating resources, getting uh, discovering as many amalgam bands as possible, and then copying them with Voon. And you just play like seven, eight, nine. I played, I think there was a game where I played 12 amal one amalgam bands in a single game. I played 12. Uh you just grind out your opponent. I was watching McBanterface when he was trying your list, and there was a game where he just looked at his hand, I believe, and he had, like, triple Astalor, there was, like, a Zola, like, another two Zolas, and he just realized, like, this might be the greediest deck in the format. Like, this will never, ever, ever get outvalued by anything. How did he have three Astalors? What? Maybe two. I believe it was because he got uh, multiple Zolas back. Oh that oh that makes sense. That actually makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I, I for for a second I forgot that you can copy Zola with Voom because uh Zola is a Naga. Uh yeah, the deck is super, super greedy. But my list is, again is extremely on the greedy side, and you probably want to reduce that greed a little bit in order to be able to do better in faster matchups. So a card like Backstage Bouncer that Fino is utilizing is very good in faster matchups because you just it's it's two four five taunts uh, for four mana as long as you have a like a small one drop in play that you can play you can run like the the, the thing about the Fino list that he's running a list that's very that's opposite of greedy uh, that runs a lot of one drops a lot of one drops I think too many one drops uh, to the point where okay it's really good with Rancher uh, and also activates a card like Rolling Stone. The problem is that you run out of gas very, very quickly. And the matchup like Blood Control becomes really tough if you don't have the late game. So Menagerie Warrior has kind of got this uh, internal game of how greedy can I be in the late game without sacrificing my uh, early game matchups. So we'll we'll see. We'll figure it out. But but the general message, the general message which the is that Menagerie Warrior looks like a deck that is, I would say, fluctuating between Tier 2 and Tier 1 
Um, it's probably not going to be tier one. I think the, the flirtation is mostly a product of the early meta, but it, but the message is the deck is very good. The deck is definitely competitive and functional. We just need to strike the right balance between early and late game, because this is not really an aggressive deck. This is very resource focused. This deck is very much about accumulating, uh, amalgam bands and copying them with Boon, and that is a very late-game-oriented play. The weapon package seems very impressive so far. I know that Fino wasn't playing that from what I can see. Uh, so it'll be interesting, like you said, to see where this list lands, like, just trying to strike that balance. And I'm sure whenever it gets uh, kind of figured out, it should be one of the more well-rounded decks I imagine in the meta, just the having the ability to go very late, um, having decent board control, so this is definitely a fun option. And it's so exciting to just be talking about Warrior in this context, Zach. We're talking about back-to-back -back Warrior decks, very, very competitive, a lot of experiments uh, going on, so this is awesome. Yeah, Warrior is absolutely back, absolutely back. The class is very, very good right now. It has, has two decks that are really strong. Uh, Enrage, I think, is almost completely refined. Menagerie, more work to do. I will try. Like the, I think the, the key here is to run enough one-drops in order to uh, utilize Bouncer consistent, consistently while keeping the weapon package, uh, which performs very well on the archetype, and trying to be greedy enough not to just hard lose to Blood Control Death Knight. Because the Blood Control Death Knight matchup is kind of hilarious. Like, just a tip to you guys. The key is to find Tony from Nelly. This is what you do. <laughs> you find Tony from Nelly and you reach fatigue. And what you do is you you stress the removal. You you run them out of removal and then you finish off with Tony. You play Tony, you switch decks, you put them in fatigue. If they not if they cannot kill the Tony, the game's over, right? They're the ones that are going to die in fatigue. Sometimes I even copy the Tony, right? I play Nelly, I find Tony. The Nelly dies, I get Tony in my hand. I wound that. I get two Tonys. Sometimes I even Zola a Tony. And that's how I beat them. Like, I do that very consistently with this deck. You're very likely to find Tony off of Nelly. I'd love to see, I'd love to see a replay of that game, Zach. Uh... I, I actually posted a replay exactly with this game plan where I just, I just Tony them to, to death. Uh, it's uh, it's probably very frustrating from the blood control perspective, but this is what you gotta do. This deck is this is a control deck, Corbett. This deck is <laughs> grindy. Like a lot of my matchups, no, my ma like my matchups regularly go past turn ten with this deck. I don't kill decks. Like very very rarely do, does this deck kill opponents on turn seven or eight. You know, it, it very rarely happens. You're usually on the defensive. Against any aggressive deck, you're the one on the defensive. You're the one trying to get to one amalgam and uh, one amalgam band and stabilize. Um, so, so this is how this deck kind of works. Uh, but yeah, the deck is cool. We'll see how to land the perfect thirty. It's not going to be easy. I think this is a very challenging deck to to build in the perfect way because you want bouncer, you want abyssal basis, and yet you still want enough one drops to activate bouncer, and you may want to run rancher still it's complicated but i'll figure it out there is also one more warrior archetype and that is the black rock and roll control warrior and i definitely see 
some potential. I, I think this deck can be tier three with the right refinement. However, there is something awkward about the new cards that kind of clash with what Black Rock and Roll wants to do. And that is Abyssal Bassist. So what happens is Abyssal Bassist is a really good card and you want to run it with Black Rock and Roll. However, Abyssal Bassist requires you to equip weapons. Now, Tuning Fork is good. You don't mind that. Tuning Fork is a fantastic warrior card. But it forces you to run Sword Eater. And you don't want to run Sword Eater in the same list with Last Stand. So there is some synergy, but there's also some anti-synergy um, with Black Rock and Rock and Roll. And that kind of makes the, the ceiling of the deck not as high in terms of the addition of new cards. So Black Rock and Roll, again, if refined, I think can hit like a tier three-ish win rate, but not much more than that. Uh, it's definitely nowhere near as good as Enrage and Menagerie. Well, that's uh, great questions, and I'm looking forward to reading about the answer in the next report. But next class doesn't probably have the same questions about build. Uh, I feel like Priest, Zach, might be a little bit more settled at this point. Priest, you've got... The main two archetypes, nothing really changed there. There's some experimentations with overheal priest. It's bad. It it's not it's not it. It's not happening, guys. So yeah. But uh Undead Priest seems quite good. Uh again, no new cards. This deck is already established and Nothing changed about it, and it looks very good, at least early in the meta. We'll see what happens later when things settle down. I'm not sure it's going to be like a tier one deck once that happens, but it's a good deck. Control Priest looks quite good. Um, I think Control Priest definitely got better uh, from this mini set. It looks like it. It looks like tier two ish. Um, like generally, Control Priest is a deck that's like. You know, in the tier three range, usually it's a tier three, usually has enough counters that, you know, people hate it out of the format. But right now, I'm not really seeing a significant amount of counters to Control Priest. It's matchup spread, you know, other than Relic Demon Hunter. It's very, I think the meta, in order to answer Control Priest, are very reliant into in utilizing uh, Relic Demon Hunter to do that job. But if Relic Demon Hunter isn't super popular, then Control Priest kind of has free reign. It's very good against Death Knight in general. Uh, the matchup against Frost, interestingly enough, got better uh, because Control Priest started to mass utilize Armor Vendor on top of Fan Club. So you have more life gain. So the math is very simple with that matchup. Once you had more life gain, then you know you do better against Frost. Some, some players even run uh, Vendor and Clergy which makes the matchup even better. So Control Priest in general, good against Death Knights. Um, but it's also good against other things like Enrage Warrior. Um, it's it's good against uh, things like Menagerie Warrior. If you don't have the infinite late game, then Menagerie Warrior kind of struggles. On top of that, if you have a one Amalgam Band uh, plan and you leave an Amalgam Band on the board in the Whirlpool, then goodbye one amalgam bands like your late game plan can, can be quite awkward uh so control priest is well positioned um and uh yeah it, it's good <laughs> it looks good uh it it looks like a, a deck that you're gonna see a lot of uh over the next week uh, uh, unless people 
hard counter it with Relic Demon Hunter, which works. It's a 70-30 matchup. And Control Priest is in a good position in the format. At least a tier 2 deck. I dread to think of more more than that, but it, it's possible. <laughs> Let's not put that out into the universe, Zach. Let's not say things like that. Yeah, it might happen. Mm. Um, yeah, Paladin. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> there, in terms of Control Priest builds... Uh, nothing really dramatically changed. There are no new cards that you really want to put into uh, Control Priest. So there's not much else to say other than deck got better. Deck looks really good. Unless the format counters it uh, super hard, it, it might be one of the better decks in the format, especially at high levels of play. Okay, so Paladin. Paladin uh, got some, some, some tweaks, I would say. Some changes in its uh, existing archetypes. Uh, the most dramatic one, I think, is the addition of Horn of the Windlord in Pure Paladin. Uh, people are doing that, and it looks promising. Uh, what they're doing is they're running Horn of the Windlord on top of Feast of Famine, uh, which makes for a pretty good uh, damage combo. It's, it's a new Doomhammer Rockbiter, Corb. It's so much damage. This is like, I, I haven't played a ton of Paladin, uh, so I haven't played a ton of Hearthstone since the mini set dropped but i did play with paladin um and this was crazy it felt so unpaladin like having this amount of damage just over the top yeah the the big thing about windlord is that suddenly pure paladin which is a very board centric deck like it's very reliant on having board in order to deal damage all of its cards basically work to leverage whatever you have on the board in order to deal damage. And once you lose board, you kind of can't win. With Horn of the Windlord and Feast of Famine, you suddenly have the situation where you can they can be at like 15 and you equipped Horn of the Windlord and they just die. Um you suddenly have so much off-board damage that it's really hard to uh you know defend against because <laughs> mm -hmm. uh it's enough for them to do some chip damage with their minions earn it in the game and then they equip the windlord and they finish you off so it's it's a new tool that is becomes very critical in some matchups for pure paladin and i think overall is going to make this deck more more scary um than it was before and it was already pretty pretty good mm -hmm. uh, and right now pure paladin looks like one of the best decks in the format um think throughout all of ladder even at top legend it looks extremely scary uh, because again uh, the fact that it has off board damage now and a burst combo that is reliant that is not reliant on you having a board lead is big so horn of the windlord probably goes in alongside feast and famine which looks like a very good card next to it we'll see what the cut cuts are uh, i'll figure them out you probably have to move away from Garden's Grace because Garden's Grace requires a lot of support with a lot of cards. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But I I recommend to shove Horn of the Windlord and Feast and Famine into a pure Paladin deck and it's probably going to be better as a result. I've noticed the players aren't really playing for Kel'Thalas. Um, Maybe like a smattering of it, but I was just thinking about that as another way to give even more damage over the top. Like, the card isn't amazing in the past or hasn't been amazing in the past but you know with that wind fury weapon that could even increase it further yeah i think the the thing with uh for Quel'Thalas is that there's there's very little space mm. to fit anything everything it's kind of hard 
but uh, I'll try and figure out how to how to best build this deck. But it's probably gonna run when Lord and face the famine 100. When it comes to other cards, we'll see. Again, refinement. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll keep a reminder for the listeners that deck refinement I do on Tuesdays. Um, supporters have access to it on Discord. They see the process of me posting the list for the report, and I explain card choices in, in the supporters forum in the supporters channel on Discord. Uh, but when it comes to the podcast, uh, that we when we record this podcast, I don't go into the archetypes too much for multiple reasons. One is you want to give it time and see all sorts of variants and get as much data as possible on, on new cards. And it's also hard work. I cannot do this while recording a podcast. It's a, it takes a lot of hours of my time to refine decks. It's a, it's an intensive process. So uh, uh, when it comes to card choices and specific building perfect 30 builds, I will rarely commit myself to a build uh, in the podcast. I will say, oh, there, it's likely that these cards are going to make the cut, right? Or these cards look like bait at the moment. Uh, but there have been moments in the past where I say something in the podcast and then and the, the report ends up being contradictory because I looked into the data more closely and I got more data as well on top of that. And there new context was found. And suddenly a card that seemed bad before or seemed good before is the opposite. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Big Paladin uh, got some new cards. I think the dramatic addition is dance floor, right? Um, it makes sense that that's dance floor would be really good in big paladin and it is good in big paladin, but big paladin is still, I don't think is a deck that you want to play, uh, because it doesn't seem good. Uh, both dance floor and cold feet are really good additions to big paladin, but I don't think it's enough to make that deck super competitive. And, uh, it's still, deep in the tier four territory, but it got better. It did get better. I do notice that Big Paladin did get better, but again, it was a complete trash deck and now it's a pretty trash deck. So um, it, it wasn't really enough to make it good enough. Yeah, so you talked about being in the lab. And by the way, listeners, if you do want to get on the VS Discord, I would definitely recommend uh, joining the lab. Uh, it's very fun to see Zach go through the process of the deck building each week. But speaking of that, it feels like Hunter players have also been in the lab, Zach. There's a lot going on there, I think. Oh, yeah. Hunter is completely changing. I'll have to do a lot of updates to the rec deck recognition because there are a lot of blurry lines when it comes to building Hunter decks. Uh, if I had to um, split Hunter into three elements, I think it would be the Naga early game facey element. You've got the big beast element, and then you've got an arcane element. So pre, like over the first couple of days of this patch, there seemed to be a distinct separation between these three elements. You had the Naga builds, like the face hunter builds, uh, more face oriented. You had the big beast builds. A lot of them ran Renathal. And then you had arcane builds. And now it seems that people are trying to piece up the best from each element into building the ultimate hunter deck 
And I don't even know how to call it because it's not really a face hunter. It's not really a Naga hunter. It's not really a big beast hunter. Let's call it good hunter. Because hunter, throughout the experimentation, throughout the experimentation, uh, the class is performing at a very high level. At a level of a tier one class throughout all of ladder. But that's before I started to spot the ultimate hunter deck. And the ultimate hunter deck is not a Naga hunter. It's not a big beast hunter. And it's not an arcane hunter. It kind of runs everything. It runs the Naga hunter early game with a bunch of bananas and barrel monkeys and stuff like that. It runs a big beast package with Hollow Hound, which is... I think Hollow Hound is one of the most transformational cards in the history of the Hunter class. This card being like giving Hunter a way to heal and come back. Like it's a comeback mechanism card. It's basically Hunter's version of Silver Moon Arcanist on Leashville. It's a turn six play. Kind of works the same way. And sometimes it just leaves a body that also life steals. So that's one of the beasts that you run. The other beast is obviously Hydralodon. And then the third beast is King Crush. And you run three beasts because you run Selective Breeder, which is guaranteed to give you, find you Hollow Hound, which makes your turn six, turn the corner swing, swing turn extremely consistent. You basically always have Hollow Hound on six. Uh, which makes the deck so well-rounded because suddenly face hunter, you know, hunter in general, when it played against like an unholy death knight, right? It got ran into like, you got rolled. You had almost no shot. That matchup was oppressively bad, but suddenly now with hollow hound, you have a way to swing back and just completely blow out the opponent, even though it got ahead on the board against you. You have a way to swing back and retake the board. And this gives Hunter an entirely new dimension. And again, lots of the big beast builds run Renathal. And for me, that's lazy deck building and also makes no sense. Why would I need Renathal when I have two Reno Jacksons in my deck and I can also discover additional Reno Jacksons? You don't need the extra five life of Renathal. You have Hollow Round. Hollow Hound, just, just build around that. And that seems to be the way to go. You run 30 cards, you run Selective Breeder, you run the Naga Hunter early game with a bunch of bananas and barrel of monkeys, but you also have the Big Beast late game with Hollow Hound being the big stabilizer on top of Hydralodon, which is another big uh, swing card, and King Crush. And you run uh, Strangathone Heart, and you run Faithful Companions. Sometimes turn 10 Faithful Companions. You summon ho two Hollow Hounds. And just, just you, have, uh, you have so many Reno Jacksons in your deck. The, the point is that Hunter can now heal the full regularly in faster matchups. Which allows it to bridge into the late game. Where in the late game it can Faithful Companion two King Crushes. And then resurrect them with uh, Strangathone Heart. Uh, so late game, you have inevitability. So you've got early game swing, 
swing potential, insane amount of healing, insane consistency in your healing, and then you have a really, really powerful late game on top of it, which makes this deck, I don't know, insane. And there's also another element to this deck, which is an arcane element. And the arcane element is star power. This card is nuts. This card is nuts. Previously, first couple of days, people tried arcane hunter, you know, with all of the arcane spells. And then I think people are quickly realizing that the major thing that's good in the arcane package is star power. Star power is just a busted card. And you just want to run star power because, you know, they have a board and you play star power and their board is gone. Corb, I've played against this. No matter how much health I had on the board, they play star power, the board is gone. Like turn five, there's no board. Guys, it took 10 years. It took 10 years, but we finally got Control Hunter. It, it's Control Hunter. It's got Silver Moon Arcanus Unleash Fill, which is a Reno board swing combo. And on top of it, it's got one of the strongest AoEs in the format. Star Power is insane. And on top of that, this build runs Brightwing. It runs Haldoran Brightwing. So you run Haldoran Brightwing, you run Star Power and you run Conjured Arrow because Conjured Arrow gives you card draw. So I don't know how to call this Hunter deck Control Hunter, but basically multiple copies of Reno Jackson in your deck, insane AoEs, one, like one of the best AoE cards in a format on top of really good card draw and you've got insane early game. Needless to say, Hunter, whatever, this good Hunter one of the best decks in the game. Maybe the best deck in the game. Oh my god. Maybe this is just the best deck in the game. Oh my. It's possible that this is just the best deck in the game. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know who made this. I think people need to search it up. Because I don't know where the source is. But there is a specific list. Uh, and people can quickly figure it out. It runs the Big Beast Package. Three Beast. Hound. Hydralodon. King Crush. It runs an Arcane Package with Conjured or Arrow, Brightwing, and Star Power. And it runs the early Banana Burrow Monkeys early game. And that list might be the best deck in the game. So, uh, yeah, good Hunter. Ultimate Hunter. Listeners, that is a challenge to you. Zach has been on fire right recently with Chimp Warlock. But now it's up to you guys. You guys have to come up with a name uh, <laughs> that we need to search through in the Reddit comments. Yeah, I have no idea how to call this deck, honestly, because it just... It's just everything, Hunter. It's got everything. So, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, take that list. It, it's really, really strong. This deck is really powerful. It's just got everything. Its matchup spread is really good. I think the the one uh, bad matchup is kind of pure Paladin, um, which makes sense because you're removal damage-based. So if you have a lot of Divine Shields, if you're facing all of Divine Shields, and Star Power is maybe not as effective. And maybe the Paladin just goes too hard. But uh, other than that, your, your late game is really good. Your matchup against all Death Knight decks is really good. You beat Blood and you beat Frost because you have so much healing. So, yeah, really, really cool and really interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's it for Hunter, right, Zach? Uh, yeah, we don't need more. We don't need any more Hunter decks. We have the Ultimate Hunter. Uh, but, Zach, do we have any Ultimate Mage decks? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the thing. Remember Burn Mage? Well, here's 
the main message about this format is that there's more life gain, right? Uh, Hollow Hound is huge, right? Uh, so Face Hunter, uh, so you see Frost, Death Knight becoming worse because it's a burn deck and it's going to start seeing more of the life gain swings uh, from opponents. Same thing for Burn Mage. Burn Mage is also going to suffer as a result of the increase in life gain because it's it's win conditions pretty much burning burning down the opponent. So Burn Mage just seems okay, but it's worse compared to before the mini set. And it's definitely a problem. And if this Hunter deck gets really popular and Hollow Hound is regularly dropped on turn six, that's going to be a problem for Burn Mage. Like you make a bunch of skeletons and then the Hollow Hound just invalidates all of your pressure. Um, that could be a problem. Um, so Burn Mage, I think, got worse. And on top of that, people are running like Spooky Mage, and you know they're running the Spooky Control with. They started running Renathal with Star Power, and I will say Star Power is an insane card. Even if you don't buff it with Haldoran Brightwing, it's a very good card for Mage decks. But the build itself, the Spooky build, is just—it's not it. It doesn't close out games. Again, the main problem is Kel'Thuzad and. Um, Romath are not good win conditions. Uh, they're not consistent enough. There are like the people running Renathal, they're running Denathrius too. And let me remind you that Denathrius got nerfed uh, to half its damage. So it's it's not great. Um, and I wouldn't run it. Uh, the spooky control just looks bad. Mage, I think, is the second worst class in the game. Um, it's the second worst class in the game because uh, Burn Mage, while I do think Burn Mage is like functional, I think that based on meta trends, things are going to get rougher for it over time. Um, and it's already not amazing. So if you take that into consideration on top of the fact that the spooky control builds are pretty terrible, then Mage is pretty, seems like it's going to be pretty irrelevant. Uh, in the emerging format. So Mage, I think, is going to be in a rough spot uh, because of, you know, all the new decks that are rising up. But uh, it's not the worst class. The worst class in the game is the next class, which is a Warlock. And Warlock uh, has been a big disappointment uh, post-Minisat. I think the, many of the emerging decks in the format... Um, just line up very well against uh, Ch both Chad and Imporlock. And I'm seeing a drastic reduction in their performance uh, compared to before the patch. And they weren't even great before. So, yeah, it's going to be rough. Um, Chad didn't, is not really incorporating new cards to its build. Um, some people are trying out the, the new Legendary. Uh, Phanatim, Lord of the Opera, with uh, with Jailer, but that's an incredibly greedy late game, and I don't think it lines up particularly well in this format, where you often just die before the Jailer becomes relevant. So that's kind of a problem, and uh, when it comes to Imp, it just I think it's an aggressive deck that gets outclassed by other aggressive decks. So, like, if you play Imp Warlock and you play against Hollow Hound, then it's a problem. <laughs> I think Hollow Hound is honestly, it's the best card in the set. It's so 
transformational for the hunter class and it's so transformational for the way we look at other decks too. Like it's, I think it's going to be as impactful, if not more than Silver Moon Arcanus Unleashed fell in terms of meta defining swing turn that you have to account for. Uh, when I initially saw this card, the Hollow Hound, I said, this card is going to be crazy. Uh, that's huge. Like Hunter getting life gain on top of such a swing potential. And yeah, it's just changed the way the meta works. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, Warlock is a victim of that. Yeah, really interesting. Um, just how one card, uh, I mean, the first ever lifesteal card in Hunter, um, just, just dictates the entire format right now. Uh, especially like once this build propagates, right? Like now that we have the ultimate hunter out there, it's out there in the universe. Zacho said it may be the best deck in the uh, the best deck in the game. We'll see where things go. If you remember, Core, back in Rastakan, uh, Hunter also had life gain with uh, a vicious scale hide. Oh, right. And dire frenzy. Mm -hmm. So that was that was another time where Hunter was kind of the best deck in the game. It had the life game swings, but it was, I think, worse than Hollow Hound because scale high dire frenzy into drawing your buffed minions in order to have more life gain is far less consistent than a turn six guaranteed kill three minions, heal heal to nine, right? It's a nine heal into kill three minions, and you have selective breeder to consistently find the hollow hound and you can run multiple hollow hounds and you don't need two cards for it it's just so much better uh and yeah it's just transformational that's how i would call describe it even when we're talking about warlock we just still find a way to circle back to hunter uh but that was depressing i mean if we started with hunter you you would see like the impact on mage mm -hmm. the impact on death knight that hollow hound has the impact uh like even though you know hunter doesn't have the highest play rate but its play rate is already influential, and if it's the best deck, then you know, I I can kind of um, I can kind of estimate uh, what happens when Hunter goes to like a fifteen percent play rate, for example. Right. And if that happens, then I'm seeing a lot of trends uh, forming and a lot of impact on on basically burn decks. I think burn decks are going to be weaker. If your win condition, if your primary win condition is burn, then Hollow Hound is going to become a problem for you. Uh, Rogue. Rogue, I think, didn't change much. Um, Miracle Rogue, same list of 30 cards that I've seen before the Mia set. I'm not seeing any changes there. The, the new cards that Rogue got didn't really move the needle anywhere. Some people are trying Pirate Rogue. Uh, I'm seeing more Pirate Rogue, but um, I'm not seeing tons of promise in that direction. I think it might be an okay deck, but other than that, nothing much else. Miracle Rogue Tier 3-ish, uh, Tier 2-ish deck uh, based on current trends. Man, we are really down in the dumps in some of these classes that we're talking about, Zach. This, uh, the, the podcast took a very drastic change in tune here yeah because uh, the last classes are uh well i wouldn't say didn't receive much in the mini set but they're they're per player well rogue the situation with rogue is that 
you only have Miracle Rogue, and Miracle Rogue has been a deck that, you know, seen play for a while. It's not also the most accessible deck for players at lower MMR brackets. And other other rogue decks are just very mediocre. Things like Secret Rogue don't really work very well. Pirate Rogue is kind of boring and for a lot of players. And it's it's just a tribal deck, mostly from Sunken City. Um you know, that equips a weapon, just punches you in the face, and that either wins or it doesn't. And uh, on top of that, you've got Druid. And Druid, again, didn't really... I'm not really seeing anything promising in that class coming from new cards. The best Druid deck is Big Druid. And Big Druid is quite solid. Um, it, it It's quite good. Uh, it's definitely a deck you can... You can take the ladder and succeed with, but it just seems like it's not really capturing the hearts of the player base like Zogdra did. Uh, it, it's just as good as Zog, if not better, than Zogdra was. But people just don't seem to care that much about Big Druid. Probably because it's very draw dependent and you don't get the sim- same sense of agency that you did with Zogdra. Um, you're very reliant on the hedge maze uh death blossom Whomper curve that just blows out the opponents and maybe those wins aren't as satisfying and the losses feel bad when you just draw the top end of your deck and not the early game functional cards the mid game swing cards so and yeah nothing new happened there and then shaman shaman is very good in terms of totem shaman is a good deck but you know we know we know this totem shaman has been a good deck for a while but people don't really care to play it because it's not particularly interesting. I will say, though, that Totem Shaman did get new cards. So there is new stuff to do with the archetype. Uh, you've got Rem- Remix Totem Carver. You've got Backstage Bouncer, which is a very good card in Totem Shaman. If you run, like if you play Carving Chisel on two, you have a guaranteed turn four totem that you can transform with ba- Bouncer. So, uh, Totem Shaman's ability to utilize Bouncer is very consistent and very powerful. And also, you can run Magatha. I feel like I've tricked you. Now you're saying Magatha the way I said it at the top of the show. Magatha. What, whatever. Whatever her name is. <laughs> uh, she seems like a good card. She seems like a good card in, uh, in Totem Shaman. Um, maybe you cut uh, things like... Uh, maybe you don't need Ancestral Knowledge if you run her. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll see. We'll figure it out. But but Totem Shaman definitely got new cards that are could be very important for the archetype. But people just don't don't seem to care that much. So when it comes to this new format, when it comes to the new format, I think the main message is that Hunter is going to be huge. Uh Hollow Hound is probably the best card, most influential card in this mini set. And my expectations is that high MMR players are going to actually start playing Hunter. The reason why I'm saying this is because the addition of the lifesteal, the addition of basically multiple copies of Reno Jackson, giving you comeback potential. It's something that's very appealing to high MMR players. They are far more willing to play decks that have swing potential, that have comeback mechanics than you know a face hunter deck that just curves out and buffs the minions that has on the board and kills the opponent that way the fact that you can lean into the late game with this deck and just kill your opponent with like king crushes 
while having removal, insane removal in the form of star power, insane swing potential with Hollow Hound. I think gives this deck so much versatility that appeals to these types of players. Um, like high MMR players look for decks that are versatile in the way that they can win games and can ap approach different matchups differently. A Naga Hunter with just barrel monkeys and a bunch of bananas does the same thing every game. Plays early game minions, puts buffs on them, uh, hits them in the face and wins. This deck, very, very different. You approach matchups differently. Like if you're playing against a Frost Death Knight, yes, you can you can play early minions in Snowball, but the Hollow Hound game plan in that matchup is very relevant. Um, and you can definitely go late game and just outlast the Frost Death Knight, for example. Uh as a hunter and it's it sounds weird but this is the current situation so uh yeah my my expectations from this format is let's see what happens when uh ultimate hunter blows up and the meta will have to respond to it because based on current trends this is the best deck in the game uh again aggregated stats are not going to tell you the whole story though if you look at the if you look at the live app, you do see that Hunter is doing well, but aggregated stats still don't tell the whole story because this build is maybe 10% of the archetype, maybe 10% of the class right now. What happens when it's 80% of the class, right? And uh, everybody has to account for this build. So very, very promising. Yeah, super fascinating to see where that lands. This is the spice that I was looking for at the top of the show, Zach. This is what I wanted. I wanted to hear about Ultimate Hunter. Apparently, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it existed, but apparently, that's what I wanted to hear. Arcane Beast Naga Ultimate Hunter rolls off the tongue. What if I just call it Ultimate Hunter? We'll throw it out there. We'll throw this it out there to cool. the listeners. It does sound cool. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, very interesting Hunter. Very interesting what like spell Demon Hunter and Enrage Warrior also do at top levels of play. Um, these decks are a little different than what I feel like we usually see in a four set meta. Um, it feels like we're landing in a usual uh, in an interesting place, and I wonder if the mini set being dual class is going to help that. Like we got just a an injection of cards that maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise. You know, you don't know whether they would have removed a card like Jam Session if they had a uh, more limited number of slots for each class. I just had a horrible thought, Corb. Oh no. I just realized that Spell Demon Hunter is really well positioned against Ultimate Hunter because you don't have minions. So Star Power doesn't do anything against you and Hollow Hound also does nothing against you. Oh no. <laughs> is it not too late to delete the podcast? We can we can delete this. This is act. not good. Okay. <laughs> but we need to we need to get a name, right, for the deck. So like we have to put this out to the universe even if we have to tell people about the rise of control priest and the rise of spell uh spell demon hunter we're willing to take the risk yeah just um, tweet at us just mm, tweet at us just yeah. tweet us uh how do we call this archetype that has healing aoe and yet aggressive early game and late game beast what do i do what do we call it i, I my suggestion ultimate hunter if you agree then cool if you think that there's a better name, let me know. 
Alright, so there we have it guys, that is the full early impressions after the latest Hearthstone mini set. A reminder that you can always support the show, support Vicious Syndicate by signing up for VS Gold. You can also sign up on Patreon, get a whole bunch of really cool benefits. And as always, we would like to thank Evil Dave for the podcast transcriptions, Steven Sensei for the outro. New report coming on the 8th, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye guys! The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.